Old radio. Old radio. Old radio. Old radio. Old radio. Comedy podcast. Welcome to episode twenty-nine of season four of the Old Radio Comedy Podcast. It pays to be ignorant. Ran on radio from nineteen forty-two to nineteen fifty-one and from 1949 to 51 on television. It was also revived on TV from 1973 to 1974 for a single season. A panel of so-called experts, Harry McNaughton, Lula McConnell, and George Shelton, were asked questions by the Quizmaster, played by the show's creator Tom Howard, and they inevitably got the answers wrong, and then progressed into funny tangents and showcasing their complete lack of knowledge on the subject. The show was a spoof of so-called quiz shows popular at the time, like Information Please and Quiz Kids, and bragging that its panel of experts are, quote, dumber than you and they can prove it. The radio cast also starred on the TV version of the show. On the 1973 revival of the show, Joe Flynn was the quiz master, and Joanne Worley, Charles Nelson Riley, and Billy Baxter were the panelists. Now sit back and enjoy the May 12, 1944 broadcast of It Pays to be Ignorant. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is it bad luck to postpone a wedding? Not if you keep on postponing it. Correct. Pay that man $11. What is dust? Mud with the juice squeezed out of it. Correct. Pay that man $12 because... It pays to be ignorant. As living proof to all you service men and women listening in over there that it does pay to be ignorant, here's another half hour with radio's biggest collection of zanies, the incomparable wit, George Shelton, Lulu McConnell, and Harry McNaughton, our doctor of music, Nat Novick, and the man who sticks his neck out every week at this time, our moderator, Tom Howard. Thank you, Ken Roberts, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. When people say things could be worse... They mean it pays to be ignorant. On this silly quiz program, we have a board of experts who are so dumb, they went to the lumberyard to see their draft board. Uh, <laughs> here he is, the Henry Wadsworth Longfellow of the Hobo News, Mr. Harry McNaughton. I have a poem, Mr. Howard. I expected as much. It's a love poem about Betty Grable and me. Oh. Here it is. Oh, Harry McNaughton said, Betty Grable, I was such a happy miss... When you called on me and held my hand and gave me that wonderful bunch of flowers. Right. Now, wait a minute. That don't even rhyme. I know. Harry James came into the room. Harry James. Oh, I see. He had a horn in. All right. Uh, next, we have a, a woman. Next, we have a woman who has so many double chins, you think she's looking at you over a stack of wheat cakes. Uh, a woman who was all... A woman who was all dressed up and no face to go... Here she is, a woman who, who is up on current events to such an extent that she spent all week 
campaigning for McKinley for the fourth term. <laughs> this is Lulu McConnell. Mr. Howard, you'll never say you're right, nephew Albert. You well, know, the one that's in the army. Well, I, I've only heard you mention him about a thousand times, Miss McConnell. But then he wrote down a letter from him the other day. I see. Oh, he's doing fine. Good. He said the general is crazy about him. The general is? Yeah, he even lives with the general. Wait a minute. He lives with the general? Well, she has to dress all his mail care of general delivery. He's a general <laughs> Very, very cute. Uh, all right, next we have a man who, when he was a boy at school, he was voted the most likely to blow up the city hall. <laughs> a man who caught coal last week from riding in an open patrol wagon. <laughs> Here he is, number 478532, known to his parents as Mr. George Shelton. Hey, Mr. Howard. Did you see the circus this year? No, I missed Boy, that. what a sideshow they had. Yeah? You know, I saw the most unusual two-headed man you ever saw. What? Uh, unu- wait a minute. All two-headed men are unusual. Oh, but this two-headed man was more unusual than the rest of them. Oh, he was. Yeah, he's really? Yeah. What was so unusual about this two-headed man? He only had one head. He only had... <laughs> For the benefit of those who have tuned in for the first time, let me say we never let the experts see the questions. They couldn't read them if we did. So this program is not only unprepared and unrehearsed, it's unconscious. Not only that, it's spontaneous. So we start in a haze and gradually work ourselves through a fog. Here's our first question. It comes from uh, Mr. Stanley L. Seltzer, United States Navy. The question is in two parts, so you'll have to listen very closely. Here is the question. Who wrote the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin and about what great man was it written? <laughs> no help from the audience, please. Let them try and get it. Of course, you know what an autobiography is. Oh, rather, yes. It's one of those things with a big windmill on the top. It flies up in the air. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an autogyro. Oh. An autobiography is the history of a person written by the person himself. Now, that should give you a clue to the question. <laughs> Who wrote the autobiography of Ben Franklin about what great man was it written? Could I have that in writing, Mr. Howard? Yes. What do you want it in writing for? I want to see if it looks as silly as it sounds. (laughs) Mr. Shelton, I'd like to tell you you're a very smart man. Well, thank you, Mr. Howard. I'd like to tell you that, but the truth is you're a moron. Yeah, I got three consoles. Yeah. <laughs> That's rich. Never mind laughing, Miss McCall. You're not so hot yourself. Oh, uh, uh, yeah? Well, what's the matter with me? That would be open to debate, I'm afraid. <laughs> I said, what's the matter with me? What? I'll have you know I come from good stuff. Uh, uh, Jersey, Guernsey, or Holstein. <laughs> now, let's get back to the questions. I told you it's a two-part question. Who wrote the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin and... What great man was it written about? Well, Mr. Howard, which part do we have to answer first? Uh, uh, Who cares? Either part. It's an easy question. It's about literature. Oh, literature is my long suit. Yeah, that's funny. Red flannels is my long suit. (laughs) You know, when I'm puzzled like this, I always stop and ask myself some questions. I see. You must get some very silly answers. That is a lie, Mr. Howard. Never mind. It may be a mistake, but it's not a lie. I never told a lie in my life. Boy, I wish I could say that. Go ahead and say it. Mr. Howard said it. (laughs) He didn't get struck by lightning. He didn't. 
Lincoln Butler. All right, what about the question? Who wrote the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin? And what great man was it written about? Let's get on here. Mr. Howard, tell me something. Did he live in Philadelphia? What? Yes, he did. Yes. Was he a printer? That's right. Did he discover electricity? Correct. Was the Benjamin Franklin Hotel in Philadelphia named after him? Yes. I wonder who it could be. I wonder... <laughs> Johnny had it. Look, let me try and help you further. I might give you another clue here. He was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, where'd he sign it? Well, mister, for your benefit, the Declaration of Independence was signed at Philadelphia. Oh, no. Oh, no, it wasn't. I what, know that much. What do you mean, no? No, the Declaration of Independence look, was not signed at Philadelphia. I know mind. that. All right, I know mind. that. Look, look, Mr. Shalomed, suppose you tell us, where was the Declaration of Independence signed? At the bottom. At the bottom. <laughs> Gentlemen, don't turn your radios off. There's nothing the matter with them. Uh, that orchestra gets paid for making noises anyone else would get arrested for. Well, here is our next question. It comes from a Mr. Harry McNaughton of Manhasset, Long Island. The question is... Mr. Harry McNaughton, Manhasset. Wait a minute, what is... Uh, uh, Mr. McNaughton, you live in Manhasset, don't you? Oh, yes, sir. Uh-huh. Did uh, you send this question in? Well... 
that is sort of... Uh, uh, wait a minute. What do you mean, sort of? Well, I sort of put the question in an envelope and put a stamp on it and dropped it in the mailbox. <laughs> but I assure you, Mr. Howard, from then on, I had nothing whatever to do with it. From then on. <laughs> that awful. Look, don't you know you're not supposed to send questions in on your own program? Well, I just thought I'd try to pick up a couple of bucks. Never mind picking up a couple of bucks. <laughs> Let me tell you something right here. You're out of order. I'm out of order? I feel all right, although my stomach has been giving me a little trouble lately. <laughs> of course, I'd have more trouble without it. I imagine. You know, I've been having a little trouble with my stomach, too. Yeah. My doctor told me the only thing that would help me, though, would be to take a bath before retiring. Oh, really? Did it help you? I don't know yet. With business the way it is, I won't be able to retire for another 15 years. <laughs> All right, let's get on. Well, Dr. Sure, you give me some funny advice sometimes. Yeah. My old man got a terrible cold in his head, and the doctor said I'd have to break it up. Yes, and did you? I tried. I busted three rolling pins and a baseball bat over oh, wait his head. <laughs> but he still sneezes a little. I hate <laughs> Over again, I suppose. No. Look, cut it out. This program is starting to sound like a clinic. I hate those guys. Can't stand them. You wait a minute. You hate what guys? Clinics. Always belittling. Yeah. Nothing suits them. Uh-huh. No matter how beautiful a writer thing is, right. they find fault. All right. Criticize. All right. Always bellyaching. Belly. Mr. McConnell, be careful of your language. There's sailors in the house here. <laughs> Look. That's the cynic you're talking about, Miss McConnell, the uh, person that thinks everything is done for selfish reasons. Oh, I beg to differ, Mr. Howard. I think that's a gimmick. No. No, no. Mr. McNaughton, a gimmick is a sort of a, well, it's a little secret device uh, used by a magician. Yeah. In other words, it's something tricky. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. A gimmick is like a crazy poem. You know, like, uh, well, there was a young girl from St. Paul. No, who no, died. no, wait a minute. Never mind. We'll do without that poem. You're talking about a limerick, a nonsensical verse. Mr. Howard, you know, I, I think you mean a maverick. A maverick? I don't mean a maverick. A maverick is a motherless calf. Sometimes they grow up into great big unbranded cows. Now we're back to Miss McConnell again. <laughs> I want to tell you one thing. Make sure you don't send any money to Mr. Harry McNaughton out in Manhattan, will you? I never intended to, Mr. Good. Howard. Sure. Bye. <laughs> school is in again. Well, so far, we've only dealt with one question this evening, uh, as if it matters. Luella. 
where we need a little help from our studio audience. We've invited two members of the audience up here on the stage. They can ask the experts a question. If they get an intelligent answer, we give them a three-year supply of high-octane gasoline. <laughs> if they don't, we give them whatever loose change we may have in our pockets at the time. Who is our first guest this evening, Mr. Roberts? Our first guest, Mr. Howard, is Private W.G. Lunas of the Armored Division of the United States Army. Well, well. Private I feel quite well tonight, sir. Well, that's fine. You certainly do look in the pink of condition. I must say the Army sure does know how to build bodies. Yeah, why don't you get them to build one for you? No. <laughs> Pay no attention to them, Private. Where's your hometown? Would you care to tell us? Englewood, uh, New Jersey. Englewood, New Jersey. I see. That's right over the bridge here. You're that's right near right. home. What, are you on a uh, furlough or something? Yes, on 10-day furlough. Right well, now. I bet you're enjoying yourself. No, that's great. <laughs> I used to work in that comic thought. I was a joiner. You were a joiner? You were a joiner? Yeah, well, anybody would buy a drink, I'd join them. Yes, and you're still a joiner. I say, I say, you know, speaking of of joiners, I had an uncle who was a painter. Speaking of joiners, you had an uncle that was a painter. That's very close. What a coincidence. Yes, it is quite a coincidence. You know, unfortunately, he died from drinking shellac. But he had a fine finish. All right. <laughs> he must have been a man of polish. The best way to treat these mental sand traps, Private, is to ignore them. What did you do before you entered the service? I was a student, sir. Oh, you were a student. That's fine. Well, we're very, very happy to have you with us. I must yeah, say. Well, what's your first name, honey? Uh, first name is Bill. Bill. right into the microphone, if you will. Yes. How long is a yardstick? How long? How long is a yardstick? I think that's going to be a pretty tough question. Did you, did you hear the question, Mr. McConnell? I heard it, Mr. Howard. You did? The question is, how long is a yardstick? That is correct, Miss McConnell. Good. Don't take us along with that one. Let's hear the next question. All right. <laughs> that was only the question. That's the answer we want. Oh, you want the answer, too? Oh, on the money you pay us? On that one. Miss McConnell, the question is about a yardstick. Now, you must know something about it. Don't you ever buy any cloth in the store? Uh, that is, don't you do any sewing? Sure, yeah. Oh, I made this dress I'm wearing. Oh, you did? Uh-huh. I thought the circus left her tent behind. <laughs> is that so? Well, this is a nice dress, and it fits me like a glove. Yeah, a boxing glove. <laughs> well, I'll have you know I'm considered a very, very correct dresser. I see. I always wear a dress to fit the occasion. You must have a lot of trouble fitting your occasion. <laughs> you know, you know, it's a funny, it's a funny thing about a woman and her clothes. A girl may wear a bathing suit and, and never go in the water. She may wear a golfing suit and never go golfing. She may wear a riding habit and never go riding. But when she puts on a wedding dress, ha <laughs> ha, she means business. <laughs> well, 
know about that, Mr. McNaughton. Huh? No, I know a girl, when she goes walking, she wears a walking outfit. Yes? When she goes out for dinner, she wears a dinner outfit. Mm-hmm. When she goes out in the evening, she wears an evening gown. We're thinking of giving her a birthday party. A birthday party. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Howard, is leading airwoman Peggy Johnson of the Royal Canadian Air Force. The Royal Canadian Air Force! That shows you how much they think of you, Peggy. It certainly is nice that you're here. It's really nice that you offer to expose yourself to so much ignorance. <laughs> Are you nervous, Peggy? No. You're not nervous. Well, that's fine. I thought if you were, you could hold my hand for a few minutes. <laughs> Listen to that old book. What do you mean, old? Just because there's a little snow on the roof don't mean there's no fire in the house. (laughs) Would you mind telling Would you mind telling us where your where your hometown is, Miss Johnson? Up in Latour, Quebec. Where's it, please? Up in Latour, Quebec. It's Quebec. The name of the town? Latouk. Uh, Latouk, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, you couldn't have lived in Troy or Allen. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing, Miss Todd. I used to know a girl in that town. What town? She went... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
nothing but tooth. Hey, <laughs> this girl that I knew was a manicurist. Oh, manicurist. Yeah, very successful, in fact. Uh-huh. Oh, she made money hand over fist. I was waiting for that. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, Miss Johnson, I, I love Quebec. Rather, yes. In fact, I, I once made a movie up there. It's called uh, The Man Who Came to Breakfast. Did you have a big roll? No, just a cup of coffee. <laughs> Don't let them upset you. I suppose being down here from uh, Quebec, I suppose you're on a furlough. Yes, a seven-day furlough. Seven-day furlough. How do you like New York? Oh, it's fine. Uh, do you mind if I ask you, how do you compare the boys of New York with the young men in Quebec? Uh. <laughs> oh, they work an awful lot faster down here. <laughs> well, I can believe you. I certainly can. You know, I like the boys in the armor division. You do? And they're crazy about me. Uh-huh. The boys in the armored division. Uh-huh. Well, they go for tanks, I can see. <laughs> and Miss Johnson, now that you're here, would, be, would you be good enough to reach into the dunce cap there and pick out a question for us tonight? And would you please uh, just read the question uh, right close to the mic so we can... How much is a $25 war bond worth at maturity? How much is a $25 war bond worth at maturity? Uh, we're getting into mathematics there with this one. <laughs> Well, anyhow, we'll try it. How do you like that question, Mr. McNaughton? Oh, I, I'm just crazy about it. Fine. Oh, well, it's pretty. Huh? Pretty? It's really, I mean, it's really a very nice question. I, I don't know when I've ever heard such a such an interesting question. All right, that's fine. How about the answer? Oh, I'd like to hear that, too. Oh. <laughs> I'd like to hear something sensible come out of your mouth for a change. Would you repeat the question, Mr. Howard? I'll be glad to. How much is a $25 war bond worth at maturity? Mr. Howard, where is maturity? Uh, <laughs> there is no place called maturity. Oh, but there is a place called maturity. Yeah. I got a nephew just went there. Now, oh, now, wait a minute. That's impossible. I tell you, there is no such place. No? Well, I got a letter from my sister today. She said her son had just reached maturity. Right. <laughs> it's been 40 or 50 years since you reached there. Let's go, anyhow. You know, we're towing trip now. Yeah, I see. <laughs> uh, Mr. Howard, I think, uh, I think I know where maturity is. You know where maturity is? Yes, it's right here in New York. I've got a cousin up in the maturity ward at Medical Center. <laughs> Boss, please, let's try and get this question. Don't any of you know where maturity is? Uh, or no, what it means? do you? Tell me I know what it means. Well, then you answer the question. What, Look, what are you bothering us for? Please. <laughs> I got more to do than answer your silly question. All right. I should be down at Raymond Street Jail bailing my old man out. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to keep you in there when you go. Look, the word maturity means the state of quality, of being mature, ripeness, or full development. Something that can't get any bigger. Well, here we are, back to Miss McConnell again. <laughs>
why they closed the racetrack. with us again next week, and here it's proven again by Tom Howard, Ludo McConnell, George Shelton, and Harry McNaughton, that it pays to be ignorant. Ken Roberts speaking, this is the Armed Forces Radio Service. Be sure to tune in next time, my friends, for another classic comedy radio show. I'm Greg Fordyce. Thanks for listening. Thanks for 